1: mpb think radio it's mpb season pass with me sam wells and jay white jay you have given me the host position today uh to uh, make a little bit of an announcement i'm not going to talk about it right now we'll have more on it at the end of the program today is my final episode of mpb season pass with jay white so what? it'll be it'll i've told you a couple you of quitting yeah, I am. I'm Boom. quitting. I am. Uh, I have taken a position with the Special Olympics in Mississippi, and I start there next week. So uh, to this will be my final sports program. I will get into uh, more of the personal aspect of this at the end of the show, Jay, because I don't want to. I don't want to get emotional on the air uh, until we have to go off the air <laughs> for, oh, okay. for, well, that's for Dr. Stewart. So, um, but uh, we will talk about it at the end of the program the last segment of the show until we talk to John Cox. But uh, boy, I've had a great time doing this show and uh, it has been a a lifelong dream of mine to have a sports program where we get to talk about Mississippi sports. Um, You can ask anybody that's known me for my entire life, and I've attempted to, to do this same thing outside at school and college, with my friends over text message <laughs> and uh, Jason and, uh, and you graciously allowed me to be on this program for the last three years. And it has been uh, it's been very rewarding and very fun to do it uh, with with you. We've won some awards. We've put together some pretty good programs. And uh, I cannot wait to hear uh, where it goes. I don't know if I'll be able to listen to it for a while. don't
2: yeah, give me the awards. I finished second and third and everything. And then you come on the show, and then all of a sudden we win all the awards.
1: Well, we finished second I mean, and second. But we also finished first one time, too. So that's good. Yeah. Uh, so, um, yeah, we won a, uh, we won a uh, the second place to WWL this year in the Mississippi AP and Louisiana Awards. WWL's a pretty good station, I guess. So if you got to lose to somebody, you might as well lose to well, them. they combined
2: the... Mississippi and Louisiana. So yeah. we finished first out of the Mississippi people.
1: I would have loved to have beaten. So I consider that. A I would have loved to have beaten that blue torch defended that I listened to for my whole life, uh, going back and forth to football games. But um, <laughs> yeah, uh, our interview with David Francis about uh, meeting Muhammad Ali actually won second place at the AP Awards this year. So uh, uh, thanks to David for doing that interview with us. I called him and told him about it last week, and he was uh, he was very surprised and told me that he was actually about <laughs> to call Jack Nicholas to tell him about a friend of his and Jacks making a hole in one in Annandale. And that he and Jack Nicholas are buddies. This guy knows everybody, right? I don't know what we're doing. Charmed Our, life he lives. He he runs into and meets and gets to be friends with, uh, you know, not just random athletes, but like the most famous athletes <laughs> that have ever been, <laughs> right? so i'm I'll anxious to see when he meets Tom Brady uh here in the next couple of months, so uh, we'll see what happens with that but uh yeah we'll t- we'll talk about the show uh and get a little bit more into that at the end of the program but again um I've had a wonderful time doing this jay i 'll miss it a lot, and I don't know um if I'll be able to listen to you for a while, it'll be very difficult for me to do that.
2: <laughs> so, I know I can't.
1: I'll turn on the radio, but I might not be able to listen to it. I'll give you a rating, at least. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, big weekend that we had this past weekend, a big weekend coming up tonight. Ole Miss and LSU in baseball. Uh, the Rebels have not beaten the Tigers in Baton Rouge in a baseball series since Reagan's first term. So a huge weekend for Ole Miss. Ouch. They, They really need to win this series. They've uh, caught fire a little bit. Five game winning streak. Beat USM on Tuesday night. We'll talk to John Cox uh, a little bit about uh, that ball game. A very bizarre game, Jay. And that USM struck out 16 Rebels, but lost the game six to two.
2: Well, both of them were bizarre. You know, they played the the last time they played. What was it? uh, A 12 inning game, and they lost on a, a, a botched intentional walk. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, so yeah, it's it's it they've been a couple of interesting games for Southern Miss this year. Yeah, and first, you talked about Ole Miss called fire at the right time because a lot of what they built their non-conference schedule on has not come to fruition. That no. is, they 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 scheduled uh, a couple of teams thinking that they would have really good years and be able to to carry the bulk of their non-conference strength. One of those being East Carolina, who, if you recall, was a preseason top 10 team that came in to uh, Oxford the first weekend of the season, actually to start the year. And Ole Miss swept them out of town. Yeah. And East Carolina essentially has not recovered from that. And so their RPI has tanked, their preseason top 10 uh, kind of, you know, um, reputation has been destroyed, yeah. and they're like, um, I mean, maybe they make the tournament, maybe they don't, I don't know, but that's with Ole Miss, you know, kind of being, they've seesawed through the first 40% of the SEC schedule, and so that makes their non conference that much more important. And their RPI got down into, the I mean, 50s. as of a couple of days ago, it was around 51 or something yeah. like that. And that's danger zone area, amazingly, for a team that started off as hot as they did, but. Um, now they're sitting in a place where these two Southern Miss wins they've gotten over the last couple of weeks are really big deals. That and the fact that you know they they took care of their business against Alabama when they absolutely needed to. Yeah, and um, tied two and ten in the league right now. Yeah, it's not good. And uh, I they, wish we could
1: make that happen in football. <laughs> <laughs> right in the fall, that would be great.
2: <laughs> but they caught they caught fire at the exact perfect time.
1: Yeah, and they got like it's, Like we said, they have LSU this weekend. Having they really need they really need to if they can go down there and, and take two of three from LSU. And Tigers not having the greatest season uh, you know uh, for their uh, pro, for their storied program. But um, man, if Ole Miss can go down there and take uh, two or three from them, that'll be a really big signature series that Mike Bianco and this freshman class can really hang their hat on. And then yeah. they get Missouri next week, who's doing well this year as well, uh, also in baseball. So. To give you a little Finally. bit of an
2: idea of what that Southern Miss win meant to them, their RPI coming into that game was fifty first and now it's fortieth. Yeah. So they jumped eleven spots off that one game. Yeah. I mean that and that's that's how much the rest of their non conference schedule has kind of tanked on them. Yeah. This Man. this pre or the during the pre-conference season
1: yeah memphis and winthrop not doing well either so uh it's uh they need to they need to pick up some wins they need them bad this weekend and next weekend uh have you checked on the starkville area jay has brent rucker burned it down <laughs> with his batting uh, man what an incredible weekend he had last week against kentucky single-handedly beat the cats by himself on saturday night uh the the nightcap of the super bulldog weekend uh, that we'll get into uh with mississippi state spring game but uh, man this guy uh, a, a, a football recruit coming out of high school. Nobody really thought that he would be... I think people thought he'd be a pretty solid hitter, but, I mean, he might win SEC Player of the Year. I mean, he might win the Golden Spikes Award for the best player in the country. <laughs> well, I mean, as
2: far as SEC Player of the Year, unless there's some pitcher that winds up having, like, a .01 ERA... I, mean, I think he's got and, that locked up. And unless he just sails off the... You know, not to make fun of any NBA players, but if he just sails off the the flat edge of the earth... <laughs> Uh, He's probably going to because offensively, he leads in every major category in the SEC right now. And I mean, it's like big time leads. He's lapping people and like batting average and and, you know, distant lead in home runs and RBIs. And he even leads the league in stolen bases or he did at the end of the weekend, which is something that I wasn't aware of. I mean, that's just I mean, now you're just showing off. I mean one thing to have all the power and the and the run producing numbers and the average and the and the slugging percentage and all that on base and all that kind of stuff but what you're leading the league in steals too yeah give us something to work with I mean, here, he's bro. doing it
1: he's doing it all man but uh, he's he's keeping uh, he's putting state in a position to possibly defend their SEC championship because I think a lot of folks uh, me and you included did not think that they would be at the top of the heap and and uh, being able to defend this with the pitching they lost but uh, they've had a couple of they had a horrible weekend the first weekend against Arkansas Arkansas, and boy, they have really run roughshod through everybody else since then. Swept Tennessee, swept Ole Miss, beat Kentucky two out of three, and they won uh if I can do my math quickly, eight of that eight of the eight of nine after losing those first three to Arkansas.
2: Yeah, the the thing is though, and I don't want to be like uh by the way, a, a pitcher for Mississippi Valley struck out Rooker on Tuesday, which I thought it was <laughs> I mean, it's yeah. worth mentioning that's pretty funny. Yeah. yeah like the the two strike pitch uh was like a seventy one mile an hour change up. <laughs> which, I mean, if you're used to, like, looking at 92, 93, that's, that takes about three days to sit back for. Um it's like striking I mean, out a slow-pitch softball. Right, but, I mean, it's not like... I mean, Rooker, he is your typical kind of power guy and that, you know, he swings big a lot and he hits a bunch of, you know, extra base hits. He's a great slugger, but with that comes some strikeouts. I think he struck out 25, 26 times this year, so that happens. Um, but, um, you know, the interesting thing is, is that 1-2-3 in Mississippi State's order has been remarkable. It's been as good, maybe better than any in the country this year, and that has carried them through what has been a uh, from a, a health standpoint, a catastrophic uh, calendar year for their pitching staff. Um, and you got to give you know Henderson and uh, Cannizzaro credit for the way that they've kind of pieced their pitching staff together enough to keep them in games to let you know their offense yeah to to keep them in a position where their offense can win games uh but i mean rooker has been cashing in on like almost every single opportunity oh, yeah. and and i don't know if you can expect that to continue their lineup (laughs) to keep the pace they've had and if that's the case you know you get back to your pitching scuffling to keep you in games and I don't look it's not I I hate saying that because it's not the time to be negative it's the time to be in, in amazement at what Rooker has been doing the three home run game the first the grand slam was on the first pitch of the at bat and then but the next two home runs were on two strike pitches which is pretty It was pretty remarkable, Uh, and they weren't bad pitches. The third one was kind of – I mean, they kind of left up out over the plate, but we had to go get that second home run, which, you know, it it, it was not – they were not all mistakes the pitchers made. But uh, I I don't – it's going to be one of the major storylines of not just Mississippi's college baseball season, but the SEC and nationally because, I mean, the run that they have been on has carried them up into the top 20 in the polls – um say it will it will be a very interesting follow to see if they can continue to carry this into the end of the season.
1: Yeah, it'll be uh, it, it'll be fun to watch. Uh, and uh, hey, Kentucky's no slouch either. They went on the road and swept Texas A and M the first weekend of the year and beat Ole Miss uh, up there. They allowed the Ole Miss lineup, which is the worst in the SEC, to score like eight runs in an inning, though. So maybe their pitching is not that, maybe their pitching is not as good as well, I'm trying to give them no credit we,
2: for. The Ole Miss offense. I think we talked about this a little last week or the week before. Same thing with Mississippi State. You know they. Especially their young guys got off to such a sluggish start. You just couldn't. I mean, those guys are too good. I know they're young and it's early and it's a struggle and it's quite an adjustment. But, I mean, too many guys were struggling too mightily to expect that to continue to happen. I mean, just, you can't say regressing. Just, you know, just. uh, The law of averages has to balance out at some point. Yeah, I mean, just getting back to the mean. Is going to improve their offense for those guys greatly, and you've seen some of that happen. Yeah, so, so we, well, part of what's played into their streak that they're on right
1: now. And we've talked about a little bit of the uh, of, of the baseball. Let's talk a little bit about the football before we get to Ben Ingram. Ben Ingram of, of the Atlanta Braves radio network uh, joined me yesterday because Jay had so, you were doing uh, another show, because <laughs> uh, we do like 20, 15 shows here uh, to talk about Braves, uh, the Braves uh, team this year that is going to be opening their new stadium tomorrow. And yeah. Ben Ben talks about this in the in the uh, in this interview but I thought this was unbelievable there's a little there's a silver like bottom to the cup holders at the stadium and it keeps your drink via a cold beer or soda pop cool cold <laughs> and that's like really my, my mind expl- I mean I'm like what they give you like a mini cooler I guess in your uh, and the cup
2: holder so it's kind of like a it's almost like a yeti cup holder is that what yeah, you're saying yeah
1: kind of I think so or so the MPB? Yeah, the MPB, the MPB uh, brand Tumblr. Yes, yes, the the Betty Tumblr. Yes. So, uh, so we'll get to Ben in just a minute. But uh, did you catch any of the spring football, Jay? I watched a great deal of the Ole Miss game and a pretty much the entire thing of Mississippi State versus Mississippi State, including the very bizarre <laughs> ending to the game where yeah. b- the Bulldogs uh, decided uh, that they were going to go uh, helmet to helmet on themselves. Uh, and maybe broke an arm of one of their players and subsequently ended the game about a minute early. And Dan Mullen was ha- not having any of the uh, media attention at the end of the ball game as he pretty much said, everybody get to the locker room because uh, we're going to have a little bit of chewing out.
2: Right. I'm sure he melted some paint off some walls. I mean, cause... I would have
1: too. Uh, me and my wife were watching that game, and both of us were like, uh, You're on the same team. Right. What are you doing? Like, I mean, he really thankfully and i can't remember who was the one returning the kick uh on the uh or returning something that they were kind of practicing uh, no,
2: they ran a they ran an option play and the pitch got away from the guy and, okay, and it yeah. was out in front of him and he was trying to scoop it back up but he when he was doing it he had his head down yeah and the guy came through and yeah. i don't know he kind of i mean whew, that yeah. was very
1: dangerous looking and uh he was on the ground for several minutes and uh yeah i don't um same team bro yeah. pull back a well, little there's bit.
2: There's no doubt. That dude was on <laughs> Sentimental Street for a while.
1: Yeah. Well, he may be on the same team now. I don't know. <laughs> I would assume he's still on the team. But uh, well, we'll start with State real quick. Bad game for Nick Fitzgerald. Of course, they had a bunch of people injured, including like three of their starting wide receivers and their tight end as well. Yeah. Uh, and uh, hey, Coach Grantham got that secondary ready to play, I guess.
2: Well, this is the thing. And this is th- this is the ultimate discussion you have about spring games. Yeah. I mean, what is it? I mean, oh, man, we had five interceptions. We took two back to the house. How about that defense? And the, I mean, the first thing says, that's great. Uh, what the heck is wrong with the offense? You know? And I, I just don't know. I mean, yeah. You you can spin that six ways from Sunday. Well, and We're regardless not gonna, to whatever you need, it is. Of course, state was bad in defense last year, so it's like ah man, them picks. You know? <laughs> well,
1: as soon as Nick Fitzgerald takes off, they blow the play dead too. So they're not his running game was a non factor in that ball game as well yeah, because they, they weren't going to hit him anyway. Uh, so I don't think you can really gauge too much from that. And then the old Miss game. Um, so, Shea Patterson and the wide receivers looked incredible, but the defensive secondary doesn't look that great. But on the other hand, are they going to see receivers like A.J. Brown and, uh, and and D.K. Metcalf when they're playing other teams? Nope. So, they're not.
2: That's so the best receiver core they'll, they'll face. Yeah.
1: So, th- then maybe Ole Miss offensively looks great and the defense looks um, the same. Right. Uh, which is not going to be oh, good. Oh, man. Look at that offense. If they look the same. But I tell you what they did look. <laughs> they look spectacular in those powder blue helmets with the navy blue jerseys. Oh, Woo. there you go. Well, Taking me back. Taking me back to the late 80s well uh, we're gonna take uh, we're gonna take everybody back to yesterday when i spoke with ben Igro about the atlanta braves opening their season against the san diego padres at home tomorrow the braves will open their new stadium we'll hear about it we'll hear about the expectations Did you see by the way yes
2: the 18 wheeler in atlanta that tumbled over and yes. sent foam tomahawk chops everywhere choppers everywhere i texted him after and said to be careful ben Right, don't, don't
1: slow down. You don't want to run over the foam, tomahawk chops. We'll be back, Ben Ingram, the Atlanta Braves radio network on why the on what the Braves will do this year. And uh, hey, if you're a Braves fan, it's coming. Help is on the way. He'll tell you about it in just a minute. It's MPB season pass on MPB Think Radio.
2: Stories and shows go to mpbonline.org.
1: We are more than halfway to receiving the 300 applications needed to get an MPB car tag. MPB needs less than 130 more people to sign up. We know you can help make this happen. All it takes is a one year commitment of $31. This is another way you can help MPB continue to educate inform and entertain mississippians sign up at mpbonline.org slash car
0: informative mpb news stories the local shows you love up-to-date severe weather info and the state and worldwide reach telling the story of mississippi you're listening to mpb think radio this is mpb think radio mississippi is our mission
1: It's MPB Season Pass on MPB Think Radio with Jay White and Sam Wells. Joined by Ben Ingram. Ben Ingram is uh, the what are you the pre- and post-game host for the Atlanta Braves radio network over there.
3: Yeah, that'll suffice, among whatever else they tell me to do. But that's simply <laughs> a state of taste. Duty of it
1: all. Yeah, and you got uh, of course the season been uh, got underway last week. Atlanta running through a little bit of a two-week opening season road swing because they have a new stadium to open up and we'll get to that in just a minute. But uh, let's talk about the season to date. The Braves have had a little bit of a rough time scoring runs. Is that going to be kind of the uh, name of the game for this team this year?
3: I hope not. See, I thought, Sam, that was going to be the strength of the ball club. I really thought they'd be able to score runs and I thought the defense would be okay. Pitching is what was my biggest concern and coming in Uh, they've not had any favors with the schedule makers because they start with eight on the road. And like you said, that's really a a tip of the cap to uh, the franchise. So they can have a little bit more time to make sure they can get everything done with the ballpark and have those extra few weeks to make sure everything's okay. But it is not easy on the players and they go from having six weeks down in Florida, to starting off season with a week and a half on the road in three different cities and three different climates in New York and Pittsburgh and Miami. And you see some really good pitchers. So, uh, it, it has not been easy without Matt Kemp's batting the lineup. He's, he was the difference maker last year, hitting behind Freddie Freeman. I thought that he and Ender Enciarte were humongous spark plugs for the team last year. And the biggest reason the offense has not been stellar is because Kemp has been injured. And we've seen Ender Enciarte start off, I believe, four or, or five for his first 33 this season. So he's been ice cold. Dansby Swanson has been ice cold. Freddie Freeman's had a good start, but when Freeman is cashed in, there's nobody on base. So the table setters at one and two have got to get on base, and Matt Kemp has got to be healthy. And at that point, I feel like the bats can really come to life and do something for this ball club. But outside of that, defense has been extremely sloppy. I know you're going to have bad days defensively, but at the same time, you can't average two errors a game, which is about what they've done through the first week and a half of the season. And that's why you have spring training to clean that stuff up. So, uh, they've had two errors a game seems like every single ball game this far and it, it's hard enough for this pitching staff to go out there and win when they're not giving up on earned runs and they've had a one two three hundred runs every single ball game so been a long list of things that have really been a detriment to the Braves at the first week and a
1: half of the season. Yeah, one of the games that I de- uh, definitely watched was Bartolo Colon going up against Syndergaard for the Mets. And, uh, boy, uh, Colon had an incredible outing, uh, but it was one nothing Mets when he left the game. So, it, I mean, unless you're, right. playing, unless you're playing soccer, you're not going to win games 1-1. to So it's going to be difficult, I think, if, uh, if uh, the offense continues to stay where it is. Been this division, obviously, preseason uh, pundits <laughs> think that the Washington Nationals are the favorites to win this and possibly get to the World Series. Series. The Mets also have great pitching. Uh, the Marlins came on a little bit last season. Is, is the expectation for the Braves this season is it just to kind of stay afloat until these farm hands are ready to come up, or uh, do they think that they might be able to even get into the the uh, maybe a wild card race or something?
3: No, I think that's any expectation for a wild card or a winning season or anything like that. To me, that's a little bit premature. I maintain that 2018 and 2019 were more realistic for that. I felt like this team, best-case scenario this year, could be around a 500-ball club. And really answer that question, Sam, it, it, it really depends on who you ask. Watching this ball club last year in the final two months of the season, it gave me a lot of hope because the first four months of last year were absolutely putrid. It's some of the worst baseball I've ever seen in my life, and frankly, I got tired of talking about it every single day. But they were able to find a way to get things going the final two months, and it gave me a lot of hope. Because the bats were there, the farm system is stellar, and you feel like over the course of time, those things can come together and, and start to change things here in Atlanta. And I really thought we'd see some of that this year. I spoke with several scouts, and I like to do this during spring training because the scouts are all over the place, and I like to get their expectations of different teams because these guys are professional major league scouts. These, these guys know what they're watching and some of the scouts I talked to thought, okay, maybe they can be somewhere between 73 and 77 wins this year. I spoke with one scout who was thinking 65 wins, which would be a step backwards from even the bad teams that they fielded in, in 15 and 16. And he felt like defensively, they weren't up to par. And of course the pitching rotation has so many questions with, with two guys over 40 years old and Mike Fulton, who's not really been able to balance out and be consistent so I think it kind of varies, but I don't think anybody that watches this game regularly is expecting much more than 75, 76 wins for this ball club this year. I, I feel like this is a team that has a bunch of guys who are bridging gaps. Bartolo Colon is bridging a gap. Brandon Phillips is bridging a gap. Uh, you could say the same thing for Jaime Garcia as well as R.A. Dickey. And what I mean by that is if you look to the Braves' farm, farm system, it's not just one or two guys that you're expecting to come up and do big things. It's a farm system that is absolutely loaded with talent, especially on the mound. And those guys just aren't ready yet. Those guys are in Gwinnett and in Mississippi and in Florida and in Rome. And it's going to take two or three years for a lot of those guys to get here and make differences. Uh, But in the meantime, you've got guys who are relatively inexpensive, who should not embarrass you, but are probably not going to go out there and win any kind of individual awards or anything like that at the end of the season, too. So that's where my expectation is. I was expecting around 75, 76 wins, get another year of, uh, get another year of experience for these, some, some of these young guys coming up. And then hopefully in 18 and 19, we see these guys start to make their way to the big leagues and start to make a difference. And I think that's what the Braves feel like is going to happen.
1: Yeah, you you led me right into my next question about this farm system. The Braves are ranked number one right now, uh, with many of the the uh, the publications who who look at that sort of stuff. Of course, a couple of years ago, 2015, the Chicago Cubs farm system was number one, and you see what the right. Cubs did last season, winning the World Series. Also, the Indians are ranked pretty high up there as well. So, who are some guys that might be coming up this year? I know, uh, of course, uh, Chris Ellis, who was a pitcher who at Ole Miss did so well with the Braves last year, is in Gwinnett now. So, who? What are some names that some Braves fans can look for to come up and maybe make, a, maybe not a difference, but at least still remind folks that, hey, hope is on the way for 2018 and 2019?
3: Sure. And, and I kind of break it down into two different groups guys who are right there knocking on the door and guys who are long term solutions. And the guys that are knocking on the door, I mean, number one, we've already seen one. Going into the season, the top prospect was Dansby Swanson. He still has rookie status for this year. He's off to a slow start, but he hit 302 in just over a month, a year ago. So. Uh, that's definitely the guy who's in Atlanta who you feel like is is the tip of the spear with some of these young guys coming up and starting to change things. Uh, You go down to AAA, Ozzie Albies is there. He's the future at second base. And like I mentioned, Brandon Phillips is just a one-year guy. He bridges that gap. Ozzie Albies probably comes up later in the season and probably runs with that job. And I think they envision a future of Freeman at first, Albies at second, and, and Swanson at shortstop. Then you've got other guys on the mound like Sean Newcomb. I'm a big Sean Newcomb fan. I thought he looked really good at spring training. Looked like a completely different guy in spring this year to last year. And I feel like he gets an opportunity to come up this year. Big left-hander. He's in Gwinnett. And I'm expecting big things out of him. Uh, outside of that, uh, it, the Braves got a bad break this spring with Dustin Peterson. He was at A last year, an outfielder. Uh, Braves got him one of those trades with the Padres. He was injured during spring training this year, was not able to go. And I think had he been healthy, we would have seen him come up yesterday when the Braves put Matt Kemp on the disabled list. So already those are some pieces right there, guys who are knocking on the door or have already gotten an opportunity to come here that can help turn things around. Outside of that, uh, especially for guys in Mississippi, uh, fans in Mississippi, uh, you'll be seeing these names come along along the way. You'll see Colby Allard. Uh, left-hander whom the Braves took with their top pick back in 2015. Uh, really good stuff out of him. Uh, very excited about Kevin Maiton who is only 16 years old. Now he's still several years away uh, from getting to the big leagues, but you're going to hear his name a lot. People feel like he's the biggest Venezuelan prospect to come out of that country since Miguel Cabrera. That's high praise for a guy yeah. that's only 16 years old. So that's really the the young gem of the farm system that everybody's excited about. Again, just 16 years old. Ian Anderson, who was with Rome last year, right-hander, whom um, the Braves are very excited about. Actually, I think about he was he was uh, uh, he got to Rome towards the end of last season. I believe he's in Rome right now. Mike Soroka has looked very good. Uh, Austin Riley a Mississippi guy who played at the Soda Central and was a Mississippi State commit is, is in the Braves organization and, and he's an A-ball uh, very high on Alex Jackson very high on right-handed pitcher Tukey Toussaint I thought Max Fried was brilliant at spring training and I believe he's in Mississippi right now and Ronald Acuna who is an A-ball in Florida is a 19 year old out of Aruba who to me looks like the second coming of, of Andrew Jones so uh, that's high praise for him. So those are some names to throw out there, but it, it's, they're loaded with pitchers, Luis Gohara and Joey Wentz and Cal Muller, and the list goes on and on with pitching prospects. And along the way, you, you see uh, position players peppered in there. Uh, but this organization is very, very high on their pitching prospects for two reasons. Sam. number one, uh, they, they, they are very valuable on two different fronts. They can either help you win at the big league level Or you can use them in a trade because pitchers provide the biggest currency in baseball. Everybody's looking for it. And if you have a surplus of that and you have a need outside of somewhere on the mound, those guys typically bring in the the most return on a trade. So that's where they're basing their their, uh, value with this organization. I think that's why they feel that they're in, in such a good position because of all the pitching depth.
1: Yeah, you're right. If you look lately, the last couple of years, the big moves at the deadline have uh, resulted in big league teams. And just one off the top of my head, the Cubs dealt uh, a couple of pitchers to the A's and got a young prospect by the name of Addison Russell out of the deal, which seems to be working out pretty well for uh, for the Cubs. And, exactly. And, uh, and, of course, uh, the Brave fans around here in Mississippi will remember Alvi's from last year when he and Dansby Swanson just about led that team to the Southern League Championship. So good names and good stuff to throw out there, Ben. Big day tomorrow in Atlanta as the C- the uh, new SunTrust Stadium will over- Open for the Braves and the San Diego Padres talk about the stadium you have seen your new office i guess a few times what can mm-hmm. folks expect and how incredible is this place because i've seen stuff on the, online and the mesh seats make it even right. make it incredible for me to think about being there in july
3: <laughs> yeah no doubt and th- that's a great place for those seats that's really the only place during a day game where there's no shade and i think you've got some having those mesh seats is, is a huge deal I'm very excited for the new ballpark, Sam. Like any other brand new facility, there are going to be some kinks to work out. We had an exhibition game there a few, a few weeks ago, uh, two weeks ago tomorrow. Actually, that was against the Yankees and the stadium itself was, was phenomenal. They had several minor kinks to work out, parking, concession, lines, things like that. Uh, that that should not take very long to figure out and and i think that's to be expected with any ballpark i don't think any ballpark is going to open the gates for the first time and everything is just going to be engineered so perfectly that everything just flows the right way i think those are some of the minor complaints that fans will have because that will take some time Uh, but the ballpark itself is absolutely beautiful we're trying to rank it uh, from what we we have seen. And obviously it's probably a little bit early for that. You want to see how a ballpark plays throughout the course of a year. A lot of times a ballpark can play differently during the summer months than it can during the spring months. And I'll be interested to see how the ballpark plays. I know the hitters are very excited about what they've uh, gathered in, in the early returns for our new ballpark. So they're excited about that. But it's not like Atlanta can import uh, a bay or a river or anything like that. And, and I think it's, when it comes down to it, you still have PNC is a gorgeous yard, and AT&T in San Francisco is a gorgeous yard, and you've got the charm in, in Wrigley and the charm of Fenway, and it, you can't replicate that because those ballparks are, were around since the early 1900s. But I think when it comes to that next tier of ballparks, I think the, the brand-new ballpark here in Atlanta is right there towards the top of that list. Uh, to me, it, it is... Uh, it is a, um, a mix of Petco Park and City Field. Those are the two stadiums that it reminds me of the most. I'm a big fan of both of those ballparks. I think both those ballparks are uh, gorgeous yards, and, and the, the Mets and the Padres got great yards when they got uh, their stadiums opened up. And I think the Braves feel very good about being uh, in, in a stadium that, in my opinion, is one of the top 10 in baseball. I would probably rank it somewhere in that 5 to 10 zone. Of uh, ballparks that I've been to, so uh, and, and no fault of their own. Like I said, you can't import a bay or a river, or, or all of a sudden put 115 years on a ballpark like Wrigley or Fenway. <laughs> yeah. So, but I'm very excited. I think folks will really, really enjoy it. The historical aspect of the new ballpark, Sam, is is outstanding, and that was one of my biggest complaints about Turner Field was that if you went there for the first time, you would think that the Braves franchise has been around since 1966, and that's it. Well, that's when they moved to Atlanta, and that's really all that was celebrated at the old ballpark. This is a franchise that is the longest continuously operated franchise in Major League Baseball, uh, going all the way back to the late 1800s. And for the first time, this is a ballpark that celebrates the Boston era of the Braves, when they had Babe Ruth, when they won the World Series in 1914 and had that great uh, worst of 1st uh, campaign of 1914. It celebrates... Milwaukee it celebrates the 57 world championship it celebrates the guys who played there Um, and I think uh, uh, embracing that history is something that this franchise needed to do and of course there's plenty of rich Atlanta history that's on display in the ballpark but what they have done by turning the entire stadium into a museum rather than just having a museum at the stadium that's the best part for me there's a there's a uh, uh, unveiling uh, of a Bobby Cox statue that'll be taking place later this summer uh, the, the Hank Aaron statue is phenomenal. That whole display is great with 755 bats stacked up behind the statue to represent his home runs. Uh, they've done a very good job of just putting the entire franchise's existence on display. So that along with the sidelines, how convenient everything is. Uh, the chop house even has uh, high top tables with uh, beer holders, Sam, that have plates <laughs> on the inside that are cold that keep your beer cold in the beer holder, uh, which is pretty, uh, pretty dingy. Wow. They've, so, th- they've uh, thought of everything. All sorts of details along the way, and I'm very excited. I think folks will be will really enjoy coming out to the ballpark.
1: Yeah, I know uh, You know, my wife is a big Braves fan, so we came out there and saw you a couple of uh, a couple of years ago, and uh, that was my issue with Turner Field, is nothing around the stadium was very entertainment-oriented, and this stadium right. seems to be the exact opposite, as, uh, boy, they have brought a lot of stuff in there. There'll be a lot to do for folks that even don't like baseball. Well, Ben, man, I appreciate you coming onto the program. Good luck to the Braves as they unveil their new stadium tomorrow against the San Diego Padres, and, uh, hey, maybe, we'll, uh, maybe Jay, I guess, will have you on in a few years when the Braves are running through to the World Championship.
3: That sounds good, man. Anytime you guys can come over here, come find me. For any listeners who want to come over for a weekend, hope you can find me. always want to mix with people from Mississippi.
1: Ben Ingram with the Atlanta Braves Radio Network. We'll be back. John Cox, Southern Miss voice of the Golden Eagles. He just called his 2000th game for USM. We'll talk to him about his career and more when we return. It's MPB's Season Pass on MPB Think Radio.
0: trust in radio built around you. Mississippi Public
2: Broadcasting.
1: If you have a vehicle that you no longer need and is collecting dust, we have a solution. Donate it to MPB. Your donation will go towards supporting your favorite programs that keep the community informed. To get more information about our car donation program, call us at 877-MPB-4-CAR or visit mpbonline.org slash support. There's a lot to be discovered about Mississippi. Like the little-known places
0: you can visit on a Mississippi road trip. Or where to find a local brewery for a unique experience. Every Friday morning at 10, we take you on an hour-long journey through Mississippi. It's music, cuisine, culture, and history. And you never know where our next stop will be. I'm Mary Margaret Miller. And I'm Sherry Brent. Be sure to join us Friday mornings at 10 for Next Stop Mississippi on MPB Think Radio.
2: From the Capitol steps to your front door, MPB News covers the state like no one else. Our team of award-winning journalists keeps you informed on the news affecting your life. MPB News, online at mpbonline.org and on MPB Think Radio.
0: This week on
1: Andrew Wired, Passing Parade.
2: That at bay, at bay.
1: It doesn't have to be just like the last time that we played right? Just like the record People are going to leave after the show tonight And say, oh, well, that was fun
3: oh.
0: Empty water, watch it live Friday at 10 on MPV
1: Television What does the news each day mean for you? Monthly jobs report of Gorsuch was asked for the travel ban Combat climate change NPR slows the news down With historical context and broad perspectives Stand with the facts Listen every day Thanks. Uh, it's MPB Season Pass on MPB Think Radio. Thanks to Ben Ingram for joining us with the Atlanta Braves Radio Network. Braves open their new stadium, as we said, tomorrow against the San Diego Padres. Uh, well, now I'll speak with uh, Southern Miss, the voice of the Southern Miss Golden Eagles, John Cox, who called his 2000th game for USM this past Tuesday, I think I'm, uh, I'm correct. John, you're in, you, are, and you are in your 37th season as the voice of the Golden Eagles. Thanks for joining us here on MPB Season Pass.
0: Yeah, it was, uh, yeah, thank you. It was my 2000 baseball game at uh, Southern Miss. And, uh, actually, I guess it's, uh, I started in 78, so it's it's right at, uh, 40, 40 years that uh, I've been around. So it's been a lot of fun, but, uh, kind of neat and, uh, to, uh, hang around and, uh, be here for a 2000 baseball game and, uh, hopefully there'll be a lot more of them coming up in the next few years.
2: Do they have, uh, how do you, how do you keep, uh track of all of the games that you've broadcast. I mean, you like when I read it, uh you know, 2000 games. I mean, and that's just one sport, baseball, but when you think yeah. about that, I mean, that's that's yeah. an incredible amount of time that you've spent describing something to people, and that's just one of the the three sports that you've uh that you've been anchoring for a long time now.
0: Yeah, and I, I just, you know, somewhere along the line, I just started writing down, you know, at the end of the year how many I'd done that particular year and uh, you know, it just, it just adds up. It kind of surprised me. You know, I, I kind of totaled it up uh, last, in the last year, and I said, you know, I might make it to 2000 uh, during the 2017 year. So i uh, just like to just kind of keep – I guess maybe that's the play-by-play guy. You always keep track of stats and things like that. But, you know, I think what's interesting, if you look around the state of Mississippi, uh, I don't know what the numbers would be, but you got David, David Kellum, David's – Either right at 2,000 or or beyond it in baseball. Jim Ellis probably got us both uh, beat in the number of baseball games he's done. So I get probably the most unusual thing is you got three guys in the the state of Mississippi who probably all have done 2,000 or more uh, baseball games. And I'm not sure there's another uh, college baseball, I'm not sure there's another state around the country. That can make that claim.
1: Yeah, you're, you're probably right, John. John, you know, I've heard interviews with Kellum before, and I've heard him with you. Uh, but uh, what is your? What are your favorite? What's your favorite sport to to call? Uh, David Kellum said baseball was his because he got to talk more.
0: <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I get asked that question all the time, and I and I got I have two daughters, and I always tell people that's like asking for me anyway. It's like asking me to pick between my two daughters. Uh, you know, I I don't know that I have a favorite per se. I like them all for different reasons. I like uh, doing football games because of the enormity of the event, the stadiums and all that types of things. I like basketball because you're right down there on the court. And you can talk to the referees, you can talk to the players, you're you're around the coaches, so you're right on top of the game. And then, yeah, kind of like David, I like baseball because you're just, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of like sitting on the back porch, you know, talking to your buddies. I always tell this story. I, I had the fortune, years ago to work a sports casting camp out in los angeles and at the end of each camp they would bring in a, a keynote speaker and one year after he got out of the white house it was ronald reagan who had been a sports announcer in his early days wow. and uh president reagan talked about how when he did a baseball game he always thought about the guys in his hometown there in illinois in the barber shop And he said that's how i broadcast i broadcast to those guys in the barber shop. So that's kinda of the way I like why I like baseball. If it's it's you're just sitting there like you're on the back porch talking to your buddies when you're doing the ball game
1: and uh, John does any I, I know it's probably the same deal with asking you to pick a favorite but uh, t- just maybe tell us some of your favorite moments uh, that you've called for Southern Miss of course uh, their resurgence back to Conference USA champions a few years back in Houston it seems like you had a great time on that call and a great call that it was uh, of course the Reggie Collier era of Southern Miss football was fun Brett Favre uh, you know Southern Miss wins the NIT also uh, and then many many baseball moments going yeah. to the College World Series so uh, what, what what, what, so what are some that stand out to you? Well, I think you name most of them. I, I think in, in, in baseball, uh, the two that stand out the most to me
0: are, are 2003 when Southern Miss won the uh, regular season and the tournament championship at Conference USA and then hosted an NCAA regional at Pete Taylor Park in Hattiesburg. And then, of course, the 2009 College World Series, you know, that's, that's something that's I don't people realize how difficult it is to make it to the College World Series and, uh, you know, wake up one morning and open your eyes and you're sitting there at old Rosenblatt Stadium uh, getting ready to do a College World Series game. That, that was pretty neat. You know, football, there's been so many of them. I think back uh, to 1982 where the Golden Eagles uh, went to Tuscaloosa and Reggie Collier and company uh, snapped Alabama's 57-game home winning streak yeah. there at Bryant-Denny Stadium, and it was also the last game that Bear Bryant ever lost he died a couple of months later and so uh, that one always kind of uh, kind of sticks out in the uh, basketball yeah it's hard to it's hard to not start with the NIT championship that was another sort of uh, unbelievable run uh, nobody really gave the Golden Eagles much of a chance in the NIT that year I think they were a 17 and 10 team that season but all of a sudden they got hot at the right time and next thing you know there, there you are in madison square garden doing a basketball game for the nit championship so uh there's so many of them but uh, some of those kind of stick out of my mind
2: are you surprised how far college sports have come i know starting in the late 1970s i mean even southern miss you know being an independent in a lot of sports and the in the teams that they kind of ran in the circles with then you know through the metro conference uh, and then you know the 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 beginnings of Conference USA, and then what it's become now, and then the stadiums you said, and the the crowds. Baseball, I mean, it's like they played in city parks uh, essentially, yeah. almost like in the ni- in the late 1970s. And now they have this beautiful stadium that they sell out. You know, on the regular, it had the third largest crowd just the other night uh, when yeah, Ole Miss think, was in town.
0: Yeah, I think that uh, college baseball, it, it's just amazing. Coach, Coach Barry and I. Scott Berry, I talk about that all the time. About you know when Scott at one time was at Southwest Missouri State uh, as an assisted coach, they came to Hattiesburg to play. At that time, we were building something on our state. I was doing the games behind a uh, screen next to the dugout is where I was sitting <laughs> doing the ball game. He's got a he's got a picture of that. But you know, when I first started uh, doing them, particularly baseball, uh, it was uh, usually you're maybe at a card table back behind the backstop and. You had to run a phone line out like they do in those old World War II movies. You know, you had to roll it out there to where you were broadcasting the game from, and uh, you know, sometimes there wasn't a, uh, you know, there wasn't many people around, and uh, you know, so, and you're using an old old pots line to do the ball games on. So uh, that's a I, I, I do think about that a lot. All these stadiums you go to now in college baseball, just about everybody's got a beautiful stadium and a great great press box and things like that. So it's. Uh, that's probably changed more than any of them, but uh, it's, uh, it's a lot of fun now to go to, to a college baseball game because you know you're going to uh, kind of have a nice place to do the game from and not have to worry about whether it's going to rain and hold an umbrella over your head while you're doing the game sitting outside.
2: <laughs> John Cox, our guest, long-time play-by-play voice of the Southern Miss Golden Eagles. John. Um, the, the coaches that I know you've become close with because of your work at Southern Miss, there's been some great names, some great characters over the years uh, from, you know, the late M. K. Turk, um, you K. Know, James. Uh, the story that, you know, we, we're kind of living with right now or living through with uh, Joy Lee McNeilis and, mm-hmm. you know, the uh, Jeff Bauer, uh, Coach Denson. Uh, Corky Palmer, uh, Scott Berry you have there now, and that's, that's just out of the big three sports. What are some of the, maybe your favorite stories, your favorite uh, characters and personalities you dealt with uh, with the coaches?
0: Well, I'll tell you one. Hill, I'll tell you a quick Hill Denson story. Hill, <laughs> Hill's around quite a bit, and you guys you guys probably around himself too. I was telling this to somebody the other day. Hill loved to ride the like, – right now I'm on the bus. We're heading to Houston to play uh, Rice this weekend, but Hill Denson loved to ride the bus, and he didn't care – if it was a 30-minute trip or an eight-hour, nine-hour trip. In those old days, in the old days of the old Metro Conference, we were in there. We'd get on that bus and go to Richmond, Virginia, or Blacksburg, Virginia, or Columbia, South Carolina, Tampa, Florida, somewhere like that. But I remember the story one time. We we had scheduled a three-game series with Minnesota in the old Metrodome in Minneapolis. (laughs) I've been doing it. there. and, And Hill was so excited because he said, hey, we can ride the bus up there, and that'll be great. And he was all excited about uh, riding the bus, how many hours that would be to Minneapolis. And his his two assistants at the time were Charlie Gray and Doug Lambeth. And I never remember they came up, and he was all excited, telling them we're going to ride the bus to Minneapolis. And they both looked at each other and looked back at Hill and said, if you do, we quit. And so uh, <laughs> they finally they finally talked him out of that. But, uh, yeah, he'll love that bus. But they all have You know, I've been really lucky when you, you work with the coaches, the guy, the people that you mentioned. You know, I started out doing women's basketball when Kay James was here and, uh, at Southern Miss and she was great to work with. And MK Turk eventually came on and worked with me as a color commentator. And it was fun to travel with him and, and see the old referees and the old coaches come over there and tell them how much they respected what he had done at, at Southern Miss. And then, you know the Bobby Collinses and the Curly Holmans and the Jim Carmodies and uh, Jeff Bauer and, you know, but more recently Larry Fedoras and Jay Hobson, and the guys like that. I mean, what really, if you're a, if you're a play-by-play guy, that what really makes it great is the people you get to work with. And I mean, I love traveling with these uh, young guys on our baseball team. I, I enjoy it more now than I probably ever have in my life after doing it for 40 years. But it's the coaches. And the players and the the feedback you get from the fans who, you know, tell you, hey, I've been listening to you, you know, since I was eight years old and things like that. That's what really that's what really makes it uh, special. So uh, that's why I say I have more fun doing it now than i probably ever had my whole life.
1: Yeah, John, that was my last question. I have a couple of friends of mine, Jared Karuba and Brian Bledsoe, who have been listening to you since they were little bitty, little bitty boys. Man, uh, what is it? How does that make you feel? I know you just kind of touched on it a little bit, but you are the soundtrack to Southern Miss sports for so many people, and uh, and really for the entire state, whether you're a Southern Miss fan or not.
0: Well, it's 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 nice. I mean, I I, I tell the story too. I was in the Jackson Airport sometime I, a couple years ago, and I'm getting ready to go through the TSA. Checkpoint. I don't want to get anybody in trouble, so I won't say anybody's <laughs> name, But I, I'm getting ready to go through the TSA checkpoint, and the TSA guy says, "You're John Cox. He said, "Come on, come on through. I've been listening to you since I was two years old. So uh, you know, there's some benefits to it sometimes. But uh, you know, I just—I'm I, I, one of those people that always thought. I grew up listening to a series of guys do ball games. I grew up in Middletown, Ohio, and there was a guy that had done the local high school team for 40 or 50 years, and. College announcers were around at that time, like Kaywood Leford at Kentucky and Van Vance was at Louisville. And uh, the Cincinnati Reds were a team I used to listen to. And they had old Wade Hoyt and Joe Nuxall and later Marty Brenneman and Al Michaels doing the games. And so I just always thought that, you know, you found a place that you love. You found a place with good people. You found a place where they let you do what you love to do. And, uh, you know, you kind of set down roots there. And then that's sort of what I've done when I came down here I didn't know a whole lot about Hattiesburg went to school at Southern Miss didn't know much about it but uh, when I got here everybody there uh, helped me make my dream come true and that was to be a play-by-play guy and so I thought this is a place I could spend a lot of years at and lo and behold uh, counting my school years 44 years later or something like that I'm still here and lucky to be here and love every minute of it
1: man what a great uh what a great story and a great uh, way to finish the program john cox longtime voice voice the usm golden eagles John, we miss you. we wish you many more years to come and uh, hey we'll be listening to you when we're listening to usm
0: guys i appreciate it thanks for the chance to be with you and uh see if we can't win some ball games this weekend at rice
1: yeah you definitely need to do that rice uh, rice and usm this weekend in a huge conference usa series thanks a lot john
2: thanks guys man alright yeah that That's was a g- lot of fun
1: yeah it's a great way to end the uh, end the show Jay uh, we are coming up on the last two minutes of the program that we have uh, that you and I have uh, together uh, as I said at the beginning of the show I will be uh, this is my last episode of MPB Season Pass so it has come to this uh, we <laughs> our, uh, our show <laughs> will, will continue on but it will not be uh, I will not be here I want to thank you for uh, sharing the uh, the microphone and, uh, and all your sports knowledge with me uh, on doing these shows over the last few years. Um, I'll tell you a quick story. Uh, I was walking back to the car from the Egg Bowl at night in 2015 to meet my wife, who was not happy after Mississippi State <laughs> lost to Ole Miss. And a guy uh, recognized, I guess, recognized my voice and said that he uh, listened to the, uh, the Egg Bowl MPB special, had, had enjoyed it, and... Uh, hopes that uh, we continue to do that. And, uh, that meant a lot. You, you know, you grow up wanting to do this and you hear, uh, you, you hear John talk about that and, uh, and to hear someone say that on the way back to the car after a big loss, uh, you know, was really, uh, was a special time. So I would like uh, to tell everyone who listens to the show that it has been an honor and a privilege for me, uh, to come into your homes, your offices, your cars, your phone or wherever you listen to the program, if you're podcasting it, uh, and if I ever get back into the radio industry and uh, have something uh, that I'm doing, uh, that uh, you will be uh, as gracious as you have been and allow me to do that. And uh, I I thank you for listening to the program uh, these few years I've been on here. Um, And uh, I guess I'll finish it with this, Jay. I just wish everyone a a heartfelt uh, good afternoon, and uh, Dr. Jimmy Stewart with uh, Southern Remedy Kids and Teens is next. For Jay White and John Cox and Ben Ingram, I'm Sam Wells. It's MPB Season Pass on MPB Think Radio.